Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the growth and advancement of teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what I like to refer to as the TLC of business. Hi, my name is Greg Gregory, certified speaking professional from Annapolis, Maryland. And today we're joined by Dr. Rajesh Kumar, and we're going to talk today about culture. And Rajesh brings a lot to the table when we talk about culture. So let me just give you a little background on what he has. You know, Dr. Kumar is a consultant and a retired business academic specializing in global business. And that's really key because we're becoming more and more of a global society today. He has an undergraduate and a master's degree in economics from the University of Delhi, an MBA from Rutgers University, and his PhD in international business from the Stern School of Business at New York University. He's also a certified global dexterity trainer. And I do want to learn more about that. Yeah. Dr. Kumar specializes in the art of doing business across cultural boundaries, and that is so important again today. As companies begin to go global, they must deal with suppliers, customers, even employees coming from different cultural backgrounds. And that's even true here at the United States, where we're dealing with so many different people becoming the melting pot right here. This impacts all facets of business and operations, ranging from how you negotiate business deals to how we motivate our employees. Dr. Kumar has a passion for reading, spirituality, and wine tasting. His global experience adds to this vast knowledge, which he has stories upon stories to share. And that is absolutely awesome. Folks, please welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, Dr. Rajesh Kumar. Thank you. Glad to have you here, Rajesh. Thank tell you us for a little inviting bit. me. Yeah, tell us a little bit about how you got from Delhi to you're now in the Philadelphia area. Tell us a little bit about all that. Right, so it was, uh, it was an unexpected journey, but I moved from India to the United Kingdom in the mid seventies to train to become an article clerk or a certified accountant. I gave that up because uh, somehow that didn't really appeal to me. Then I moved to the United States where I did my MBA and later on my PhD. Now in this process, I had to navigate cultural boundaries. And so when I initially moved from India to the United Kingdom in the mid seventies, I found myself in a very, very different environment. So in India, for example, it is a very deferential environment. It is an environment where uh, you say yes to seniors. You are almost, uh, uh, you know, you almost don't ask questions unless they are asked a few. And in the more individualistic environment of the United Kingdom, you know, these norms were completely opposite to what I was used to. So I had to uh, adjust to challenges of communication, dealing with people, a lot of interpersonal issues stemming from these differences in these values. Now, how old were you at this time? I was 22. 22 years old and having to learn all this. 
And there was no instruction manual, was there? No, I, I, I was clueless when I left from and in retrospect, I should have learned, but I did not. But it's a, it's a mistake that's made by a lot of people. I think it's probably a mistake made by thousands. <laughs> Everybody probably makes that mistake at some time. Right, yes. Yeah. So, so then once you got here, uh, you left the UK and then came here, it was even different again. It was different. And I think one of the things that struck me even at that time, and now I suppose it's even more so, was that uh, this is a much more aggressive culture, even compared to the UK. So I think mm -hmm. I had to, <laughs> I had to become more proactive. I had to actually, uh, uh, you know, further develop my skills in this area. And even to this day, you know, there are, I've come a long way, but I cannot say that I'm a person who is similar to someone who's been born in this country. Now, it comes down to some of the simple things are as simple as eye contact. Absolutely, absolutely. Eye contact, okay. communication. Uh, mm -hmm. So in India and in some other Asian cultures, people never say no directly. They're like, right. no, head goes down. It's, it's eye contact. It is uh, communication. It is, uh, you know, your nonverbal language. Mm -hmm. It is uh, how you interact with people, how you uh, socialize. It's, you know, whole, whole sorts of things, some which are uh, easier to understand and some which are... Uh, much more deeper and really reflect your inner mindset. So we were talking a little bit before we uh, went on air here and your background also, once you were here in the United States, yeah. you moved around here, but then you also traveled a lot since then and before coming back to the U.S. Correct. Again, so now tell, tell us a little bit about those journeys. How did that all transpire? Because that, I think, leads into the cultural diversity and being culturally adept. Right. So I got uh, academic positions in different countries. So I spent a year actually in 1990, I believe that was in France, uh, where I was teaching at two business schools. Then I moved to Finland, Denmark and England. And uh, so I would say that... Uh, I lived in Denmark for about nine years and in England for six years. So those were the two uh, dominant or lengthier assignments I had. And um, again, you know, um, European cultures are again very different from North American cultures. And I think, of course, and Denmark is different from England. But more broadly, I think about my experience in Denmark it's a very homogeneous country. It's small population, 5 million. Uh, everyone almost kind of thinks alike, thinks alike, yes. Mm -hmm. very... I'm chuckling at 5 million because New York City alone has more than that. <laughs> exactly. So in a way, it felt to me that being in Denmark was almost as if I was in Japan because uh, Japan also very homogeneous and everyone thinks alike. Same here in Denmark as well. So you could almost predict how people might react to a given situation. Uh, otherwise, you know, I think Denmark is uh, 
I, I, I also had the problem in terms of language. So I didn't, I didn't learn Danish and perhaps I should have. So all of my work was in English, so that was okay. But okay. Uh, I think language did come in the way of integration. And then even still, English takes on so many different dialects, if you will. Correct. There's the Queen's spoken English. There's Absolutely. the U U.S. slang. There's, there's so many different dialects and everything that come into play. I mean, that was one of the problems I had in England because... Uh, you know, where I was working, people were speaking different dialects. So I could understand the London or the British or the London version of English, but not necessarily the Cockney or the Scottish or the other accents, <laughs> which yeah. again came in the way of adaptation. And we all have to understand that it's our purpose to try and adapt to those cultures and the other folks. And once we realize we have to do our adaption. Hopefully, when they're communicating with us, they realize they have to adapt. And there's the old adage, we meet in the middle. And no, that's, that is, that's where that we start correct. to get. Yes, so yes. Let's talk a little bit about business. Sure. There's a lot going on in this world where we call for customer service. Right. And we're dealing with a customer service person who is not from this country. Sure. Okay. Here in the U.S., we may dial. We may end up with someone in the Philippines. We may end up with somebody in sure. India. Uh, we may end up with somebody in South Carolina. We may end up with somebody in Minnesota. Um, it's all over the map in that aspect. What is it that companies need to know? And so we're talking culturally, not just international culture, but what is it that we need to know as a company that is going to help us increase our performance globally as well as in interna internationally as well as nationally? So I think the first thing is to really understand what the cultural norms are in that particular country. In other words, how do people interact? How do they communicate? Are they, um, are they deferential? Or are they actually willing to uh, address questions which they do not understand? Are they, what is their attitude towards hierarchy? Uh, you know, so I think those are some fundamental questions in terms of communication, in terms of uh, how they deal with their superiors. Because I think if, you know, if you have a situation where uh, people will say, yes, I will do this, but they still don't understand what is being asked of them, Right. then I think you're going to have a problem. And that, that really is powerful. So from a leadership standpoint, both at a senior level leadership, as well as a mid to frontline management style, sure. what, what can leaders do to help their people become more culturally adept? Oh, there are lots of lots of different things that they can do. And I think a lot of companies are now obviously, um, you know, very much engaged in global uh, uh, expansion. The first thing I would say is that there has to be this sensitivity in the global organization. And the way to that, way to do that, one of the ways is to have a very diverse top management team, right? So if you have the top management leadership, uh, which is diverse, 
then I think you will see that they're going to bring different perspectives on board, which means that they're going to have a better understanding in terms of uh, how to respond to given situations. So if you take a look at Amazon in China, from what I understand, one of the problems was that all of their Chinese operations were not staffed by locals. They were staffed by uh, expats. And a lot of these people obviously didn't really fully appreciate or understand the local cultural nuances. And the second thing was that they were not receptive to the input that they were getting from local employees. And uh, the same thing happened with GM, which exited India after 21 years. Why is it that so many organizations don't give this the attention? Now, you talked about having diverse senior management. Sure. That's, that's great, and I get that. Right. When they don't, if they've got somebody, if they understand the different cultures, they still may not be paying attention to that through the organization. Why, why are they not doing that? Well, that's a good question, and, uh, and especially so given that their business is so global. I think, you know, historically, if you take a, take a look at it, and maybe it has changed now. Um, so if you take a look historically at American CEOs, most of them never had international experience. It was not a prerequisite to actually uh, have international experience before becoming a CEO of a company, right? Okay. So I think so. one of the factors is that uh, uh, global business is important, but still I think the emphasis is on the domestic and on the local. So, so partly it's a matter of attention. Partly I think it is a question of lack of diversity at the top team so that you do not get a variety of perspectives. And third, I think it's also an issue where, uh, you know, for a global organization, they need to rotate people around different regions, different countries, different areas, so that, you know, you give them a broader exposure and broader experience, yes? And many of them do that, but they don't do that so well. So I'll give you another one example. So when Americans send their managers overseas, they send them over for two or three years, which in my view is a very short period of time because six months you'll get to know the culture and the last six months you're preparing your move back to the country. Whereas if you take a look at Japanese and Korean companies, they will send their managers on extended assignments of five to six years. Okay. So they get more ingrained into the culture right. and able to yes. work. Sure. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yes. So let's talk about here in the United States for a minute. Right. In this country, we have an incredibly culturally diverse country. Now, some parts of the country are very homogeneous. I get that. Other parts are very, very diverse. What can companies do here? to get their teams to work together, to be more culturally adept. What are some things that they can do on the front line to understanding different behaviors, different cultures, different beliefs? I mean, we hear things like 
uh, let's let's have a uh, each week we'll have a different ethnicity of food to come in. That's wonderful in one aspect, but it's not. That's just food. It's not doing everything. What else are things that companies can do, even on the frontline level? I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So I think uh, uh, what they need to do is to actually provide training programs or workshops. And as a certified global dexterity trainer, uh, and there are many of them around in, in the United States, and there are a lot of cross-cultural uh, consulting companies as well, uh, you know, you need to actually sensitize them to different cultures through workshops mm -hmm. and trainings, and you can organize them periodically um, throughout the organization. You can do two or three day workshops. And again, the specific content of that particular training will depend on the specific needs of the organization, which obviously you negotiate with the, with the company or the trainer concerned. So what these particular workshops will do are two things. One, they will enhance awareness. Awareness that there is actually a difference. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I think it'll take you out of your local mindset and you will recognize that there's an alternative reality, right? And I think the important thing is to recognize also at the same time that uh, we should not stereotype people, right? So even as we are aware of differences, we should avoid stereotyping. Absolutely. And I think training programs will focus on that particular dimension. And essentially, it is a way of trying to open up individuals who have, uh, who have had no particular uh, exposure to the, to the global aspects of doing business. And it is interesting, I even right now when I talk to some people whom I run into and have a casual chat, and I tell them that I work in the field of global business, they have no idea what this is. Well, Which is... <laughs> You know, in the field of global business, it, it could take on so many things, which yeah. brings me, you talked about the, the position of a certified global dexterity trainer. Correct. Correct. Yes. You know, that's, that's, let's break that down. What does that mean? What is a dexterity, a global dexterity? Dex See, I thought it was talking about being dexterity with your muscles in your body, but uh, I, I'm probably wrong. No, so dexterity is really, in some sense, developing a kind of cultural capability, right? Okay. So you're developing that cultural capability to ha handle the different kinds of differences that you might see in a situation. So say you're negotiating with some people from uh, India, right? Okay. So I'll give you an example. There was, uh, this was a story told to me by a Danish manager so they were negotiating a joint venture in India and they went to their first meeting. The Indian meet, the Indian team arrived three hours late or two hours late for the meeting. And the Danes were there on time and they were, you know, they were not happy obviously with this and they didn't really quite get an explanation why that was the case. So they communicated their concerns, but they did so in a way that did not necessarily offend the Indian parties. So essentially, 
in a very polite form, they conveyed something to the effect, you know, if you cannot even agree to meet on time, how are we ever going to be able to set up a joint venture? Right. Okay. <laughs> so then, <laughs> and they did, so they did not do it in a very, in a, uh, they did not lose their cool or their anger, but they just communicated it. And from then on, they did not have a problem. Okay. And you see, I did some training years ago uh, down in the Caribbean on the island of Barbados. And I was noticing everybody was coming in 10, 15, 20 minutes late. And they just referred to it as Bayesian time and coming online, joining in, coming in at that time. That is the typical norm of their culture. Right. As I began to do extensive work with them, I realized that it was not my place to change them because I was in their country and culture. I had to adapt to that. So no, absolutely. And so that is the thing when you realize there is a difference. Typically, if people are not aware or trained, they might get very frustrated. They might get very angry. They might really wonder, are they really interested in this meeting or not? Yes. Right. So one of the things you have to deal in becoming culturally adept is learn to manage your emotions. Is to actually control them. And oh, that, use, that is so much easier said than done. <laughs> I know, I, I understand that. But I mean, I think, I think it, is the, it is the way to, mm-hmm. uh, to, because, I mean, emotions, as you know, if you express them, they can actually be very destructive. At oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so I think you have to be, you know, you have to be a little more careful in terms of how you do it. And especially in Asian cultures like Japan, China, even India, if you if there's an emotional outburst, you might cause the other people to lose face. Right. And that will then, you know, make the business relationship much more difficult. And you may not, you know, I've heard of situations where companies have lost contracts because they have offended the other party. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so many stories that I've heard over the years with the different cultures and not working together. Um, it's it's fascinating. It can be humorous after the fact once we start to realize that. But in the moment, it is not. And that's, that's, that's so key. You used the term a little earlier about being aware and having a keen awareness. Sure. Um, there's a term I use Uh, in a lot of my training workshops about both in the diversity of the culture and the cultural groups, but I use it on multiple levels. And that is awareness brings effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And the more aware we are of situations, whether it is the cultural differences, whether it is the way the behavior styles, regardless of what it is, the more aware that we are, the more effective we can become. And again, ideally, it is about both sides being aware of the other person. And so often what happens is, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, so often what happens is one side may be aware of it, so they tend to make changes, expecting the other side to meet halfway, and they don't. And they feel like they're giving everything all the time. Talk to us a little bit about that. How How can I, if I'm going somewhere 
let somebody know what I'm expecting. What are ways that I can do that without being culturally insensitive? Okay, so I think there are two answers to it. One is at a pragmatic level, yes. And the pragmatic okay. answer is this, that in any business relationship, in many cases, one party will have the superior hand or will have greater power, right? Okay. So which means that uh, the, uh, the party with the lesser degree of power may have to do a greater degree of adaptation. Now, this is not to say that they may not adapt, but I think that does come into play. So, uh, so you know, if, you are, um, if your negotiations are being held in Japan, then by definition, that gives Japanese a certain sense of advantage, right? Okay. So that's that. So I think so. One is a pragmatic stand, which is which party has the greater power in that interaction. The other thing I think you also have to look at it is what do you see the potential of the relationship over the longer term? So, which means that if you see a good potential in any relationship that you're developing, Okay. Then even if in when so even if in one particular interaction you think you have to adapt more than the other party, then I think it is still worth it to do it. Because you know, in the longer run that may pay off. And uh, and the third thing is that adaptation is also signaling your willingness in a way to cooperate. Okay. So, so I think from those standpoints, so yes, you can say that both parties should do 50-50, but I think from a more pragmatic standpoint, I think uh, you have to really assess, you know, is it just a one-time transaction that you're doing? With, uh, with the other business partner, just a simple buying, selling re relationship? Or is this something that you see evolving into something more enduring and going to be long lasting? Okay. There's a term that I will often use mm -hmm. when I go into a training program or something, and I'll do what's called a pre-call. So I will bring it up front at the beginning so sure. that we can bring that up. So to understand different, it, would that be appropriate if we're having a phone call with somebody in a negotiation or yeah. if we're having a team meeting and trying to build something? Would that be appropriate to say, okay, let's understand our differences here and bring that up? Would that be something that's appropriate or not? No, absolutely. And I think in a lot of negotiations, especially in East Asia and all, you have to have those informal talks before you actually get down to negotiations. Okay. In fact, you have to even explore whether there's even any room to negotiate. Yes. Okay. And ideally, if you have a third party who can introduce the two parties together, then I think that will create a very favorable momentum for the negotiations. Okay. And so I think that is absolutely essential. And, you know, you can't go, you can't do pole poly in those particular uh, countries. You have to have ideally an intermediary to introduce you. And this, in, you know, in China, they call it Guangxi. Uh, okay, which so it's called what Guangxi. again? Guangxi. Maybe I'm not pronouncing it very well. Okay. It is 
G-U-A-N-X-I. Guanxi. Yeah, and so it is, uh, it is relationship. And in China, you cannot do business without developing this. And so I'll give you another example. This involved eBay. So they lost out because, you know, they did not in their uh, platform in China, they did not have a, a function which would allow the buyers to communicate directly with the sellers. They could leave reviews, but they could not communicate them directly. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Chinese counterpart allowed that direct interaction between the buyer and the seller which meant that that provided an opportunity for people to build a kind of relationship. That's fascinating because those are areas that most people don't think about. Absolutely, yes, Um, yeah, yeah. With most of our listeners in the United States and having to have communication, whether it's a call center, uh, dealing with someone from another culture, um, whatever, whatever it happens to be, are there any tools that are easily accessible today or what would you recommend to people who are having to deal with different cultures and they may be dealing with diff- multiple cultures in a single day? Is there any advice for that? Right. So, I mean, I think, um, I think the, um, So the first thing I would again say is just awareness to have a general idea. Mm -hmm. Second, about the culture concern, but that is not sufficient. I think they need to get as much information as they can also about the individual that they're going to be dealing with, you know, in terms of their background, because many of the people from uh, in other cultures, they may have had global experience. Yes. Right. So I think you also need to get an idea about the other individual concern. And uh, third, in terms of uh, tools for communication, I think, again, that depends on the context of the relationship in terms of what they are trying to achieve. Is, Is there a history of what they have done before or is this a new relationship or is this an ongoing uh, project? Uh, in which they need to communicate. So based on that, I think they then have to decide. And, uh, and for a global organization in general, I mean, I think, as I said earlier, they need to actually provide some kind of training so that people have a general idea as to how different cultures are, what are the do's, what are the don'ts. And that makes sense. Let's, let's stop and think, though, for a second. If we're working at call desk, yes, and we could get a telephone call uh, from someone with an Indian background, and 15 minutes later, we're getting a call with somebody with a Danish background, right? We're getting somebody from, and there's multiple of the Hispanic cultural background, yeah, yeah. All of those things start to come into play, it does, yes. What is there anything? that the average person can pick up on a book, uh, uh, something you know on the internet today, that they can get and learn a little bit about different cultures in a relatively quick matter of time without waiting for the company to say, okay, this week we're going to focus on this culture, this week, this week, because they could could deal with 30 different cultures in a day. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. And that doesn't even begin to get into fact the different diversities that are within the United States alone. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. Uh, I'm sure there are, I've seen a lot of handbooks on Amazon, mm-hmm. on different cultures. And, uh, and I think there are also some travel guides that also have some cultural components that they describe about specific cultures. Yes. Okay. And I think in terms of online, I think there's a lot of material available online as well in terms of various uh, people posting on different on different sites about okay. their experiences and all. Yes. So there's okay. a lot of material available. Yes. There's a lot of material. One book that I've used over the years, and I I can't even, don't even know where my copy is right now, was a book called Kiss, Bow, or Shake Hands. Oh. All right, I think I, I've heard of that book. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. And then there's the other one, um, uh, Eat Shoots and Leaves, and it's ah. about eating bamboo shoots and right. bamboo leaves, and it's all in the the connotation of how the language is taken. So those are great examples that I have heard of. I just wasn't sure if you knew of anything newer because I haven't been around for a while in that. Right now, I understand. I can't think of anything, but you know, I'm aware of a lot of books in terms of culture. There's mm-hmm. uh, so Edward Hall, who was a famous American anthropologist, wrote a very interesting book on uh, understanding differences between Americans, French, and Germans in a European context. Okay. I think it is still a classic, even as of today. He also wrote a book on the silent language, just describing the nonverbal communication aspects and how differences in time, space, and your body language can affect uh, interaction. And you mean like this? A lot of workshops, they do those exercises, you know? Mm -hmm. Where somebody gets (laughs) like this, really tense like this, yeah, more relaxed. Yeah, or what is the physical distance between two people when you're talking? Mm -hmm. So in some cultures, it's very close. In right. others, it's uh, it's so there, there are a lot of uh, books, but uh, okay. Uh, if you're interested, I can send you some of those uh, links. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. If you get those to us, we'll put that in our show notes as well. Sure, sure, sure. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Now, when we're talking about differences on a team, yeah, and so let's look at that. You know, we've got three or four people on a team from different cultures. Maybe one person comes in from a different culture with right. a very homogeneous team. You know, what are the challenges? But what's the biggest problem we have when we're starting to mesh a group together with different cultures? I think the biggest problem is communication and understanding mm-hmm. and lack of trust. There it is. Because, <laughs> because different people will talk in different ways. Mm-hmm. They may not really understand each other. Yes. Yep. They may draw exactly the wrong impression from what mm-hmm. is being said or communicated. So there's going to be uh, there's going to be problems in communication. And if you cannot communicate effectively, then how can you build trust? And <laughs> you're 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 absolutely right. And you know, as I've said before on the podcast. The word trust comes up in over 90% of our podcast interviews on right. one way, shape, or form. Yes. So when we start to look at this, we talked, and we were talking just briefly off air, you know, uh, about trust. And the power behind trust is incredible because there is both predictive trust and vulnerable trust. Mm-hmm. And leaders today are struggling with showing their vulnerability. 
if I don't know something about a culture, it's much better if I admit I don't know it and bring somebody else in to help or invite the person who's new on the team to share with their cultural background and bring it in and engage people. Is that a good idea or not? Absolutely. I mean, that's what surprises me about some of the companies that I mentioned. I mean, uh, and the problems they had, whether in India or China, is that, you know, these are global companies and uh, they didn't really, um, uh, you know, follow what was, or at least not to the degree or to the extent that they should have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's an absolutely brilliant idea. Yes, you need to bring in outsiders. You need to. And I think it does two things. First, you get better acquainted. Second, I think you are conveying an image or impression to the other party that you're really trying to be interested in this. Right. And even really with the team. To, get to know the other. Yeah. Right. And on the team, if I am the leader, by doing that, showing my vulnerability to be able to do that, will allow the team to be more vulnerable and ask some of the same questions and engage in some of the same types of conversations. Absolutely. I'll, if you like, I'll share an example with you. Okay, great. We'd love so to hear it. Many years ago, I was invited to do, I will not mention the name of the company, but I was invited to do a cultural audit of an Indian company that was expanding globally. They had great ambitions. They had bought factories in Europe, in Australia, and in the United States. Now the problem was, and they hired me because they were having a lot of problems in the organization in terms of uh, interaction between North American and European and their Indian managers. And the problem was simply this. It's a, so India, as I mentioned, is very collectivistic. It's a very group-oriented society. And it's a society where all decisions are made at the top. So the CEO, really basically decides everything. Okay. So this created problems for the organization, a lot of frustration for the European and American counterparts. One problem was communication was very slow because everything went up to the top in India. So they could not act expedi expeditiously. They did not grant local autonomy to local managers to actually make the decisions, yes. Okay. Uh, that was, and so I think it built in a huge amount of frustration and uh, and uh, and uh, and resentment to a certain degree. And so then they had this uh, uh, seminar where I presented my findings and all of this, and it just showed the huge cultural divide that existed. And for the Indian firm to really adapt they needed to give more autonomy to local managers and to have a different way of communicating. The more we learn about different cultures, the yeah. better we become. Uh -huh. Right. And so the, 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 so, you know, given that they had global ambitions, they should have actually, they should have actually adapted. Done some research. Yeah. So, but that's the other problem where the culture thing comes in. So even if I know that I need to delegate, but if my cultural norm says, you know, I'm going, you know, I'm going to control everything, it gets very difficult for such a person or a company to delegate. That's 
That's kind of fascinating. I hadn't looked at it that way. And I think that's fascinating when you look at that. Yeah, because I mean, that's the one thing about culture, because it's so deeply ingrained in us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we've got our cultures from the time we were born. Exactly. About certain things we have, not necessarily yes. beliefs, because the beliefs can change a little bit. But our internal culture about the way we want to do things. I mean, uh, I'm very much a type of person who gets up in the morning very early. I love to push myself. I drive very hard. That's part of my culture individually. There are other people that are not that way. They still get their jobs done. Right. We now start to have some. So cultural diversity is not just on an international level. No, it's course. not just uh, different races. It, it's about everything of how we behave and how we work in the workplace. Absolutely. And in that context, I think awareness is essential, but it is insufficient. Because right. I know people who understand culture A, B, C, D, but they're still unwilling to adapt. <laughs> so you actually have to uh, you actually have to internalize it within your body. Yeah, it's it's something that's so hard. My father used to see me do trainings yeah. on behavior styles. And as many times he saw me do this training on this type of a behavior style, he never got it himself. <laughs> and it's it's absolutely amazing when we stop to think about that. We've got to understand that it's about other people, not just about ourselves. That so doesn't right. mean that we're a weak person because mm -hmm. we give in to other people. That's not the case. No, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Rajesh, it has been a privilege to have you here. You've shared a lot with us today on different cultural uh, backgrounds, thoughts, and stories. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated and I'm always intrigued on learning more about the differences that we have. And I do believe that we have more about us that bring us together than can divide us. Would you agree I with agree. that? I agree with you. Absolutely. Wholeheartedly. Yes. Okay. Well, I'd love to have you back on here somewhere down the line. Talk about it again. Let's get into some ideas. If people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? I can, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. Okay. Yes. And so that's, um, how do they find you on LinkedIn? What is your, uh, your uh, connection on LinkedIn? Okay, that should be, uh, I, should I send it to you on chat? No, no, you can just go ahead and send it directly to me. Okay, um, send it to you. Send yes, it to okay. me. We'll put it in the show notes so people can reach out to you that way. Okay. But it's right. Rajesh, so that's R-A-J-E-S-H-K-U-M-A-R. And they can also reach me on my website. Okay. Yes. And what is your website? Uh, www.globalstrategicadvisory.com. Globalstrategicadvisory.com. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Rajesh, thanks again for the time you've given us today. I know time is valuable, so we'll let you get back to work. I hope you have an amazing day. And, you know, folks, when you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, it's a powerful thing because we give you ideas. And Rajesh has done that today. Things that you can start to implement immediately. And the ideas today include simple ideas about just being aware and building a level of trust with the other persons and understanding their cultures. So those ideas are things that you can implement immediately. You know, until next week, I always believe in saying having a good day is just being average. And when you listen to the teamwork advantage, we know you're not average. So go make today an excellent and exceptional day. Until next week. Bye-bye. 
This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average. 